0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a wonderful and beautiful day we've been given to come together to worship God. I look forward to the first day of the week so, so very much. I'm so happy to see all of you. And I'm looking forward to our time worshiping God as we've been doing so far this morning in just a wonderful way. Please get your Bibles out, please, and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. Our study will mainly be coming from the book of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in your New Testament. Good enough. Good enough for government work. Good enough for government work. Are you familiar with that statement by any chance? I'm pretty sure that many of you are familiar with that statement. That statement actually has a very interesting a very interesting origin in history, but it essentially implies today mediocrity, right? It implies settling, it implies just doing enough to get by. You ever had that kind of mindset before? You ever had a good enough for government work mindset before? You ever had that mindset after doing some yard work for a couple of hours? You ever had that mindset after spending some time trying to put some furniture together? Or after trying to put a tree house up for your kids? Or maybe you had that mindset on your own job before. Maybe while doing a company report or a company project for a long period of time, after a while you got... You got it. You got started feeling tired and exhausted and, and you started settling for mediocrity. You started settling for a less than excellent effort because all you cared about at that particular point was just getting done with the project. You ever had that kind of mindset on your job? What about when it comes to your faith? What about when it comes to being a Christian? Or a follower of Jesus Christ since beginning your walk as a Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ, have you been striving for excellence and striving to give better service to the Lord each and every day? Or are you just doing enough to get by? Or have you been settling for mediocrity? Have you been settling for a half-hearted effort and doing what you feel is just good enough? If you've been living that way and walking that way in 2023 or maybe even before that, notice what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation, and the Bible says this in chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel that you excel still more. Notice what Paul is saying here about the, the Thessalonian brethren. Notice how according to the Apostle Paul, while they were at that time doing some good things for the Lord, while they were pleasing the Lord, while they were currently walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, Paul says they didn't need to settle. They didn't need to be content. They didn't need to walk around with a, This is good enough mindset. Instead, the New American Standard Translation renders this language. They needed to excel. They needed to excel still more. They needed to do better. They needed to grow. They needed to strive each and every day to bring more glory to God. That's what Paul says to these Christians. And let's just be honest about it this morning. So often Christians don't do that, right? So often Christians don't excel and they don't strive to do better in their service to God each and every day. Now, they may start out well. They may start out passionate and zealous and on fire for the Lord. They may initially come out of the waters of baptism, eager to do evangelism and read the Bibles and pray and attend all the worship assemblies and and live for the Lord every single day. But... Then a few weeks go by, or a few months, and in some cases a few years, and they stop growing. They stop being zealous. They stop striving for excellence, and they develop, and it is good enough mindset. Unfortunately, that happens to Christians all the time. And I hope you can see from this verse, that's not the will of God. That is not the will of God for any of his people. God never wants any of his people to settle and engage in and mediocre and half hearted service to him. Instead, what God wants his people to do is what Paul says there in that verse. He wants them to excel. He wants them to excel still more. In fact, there are at least or at least four very specific areas where Christians are to excel in their service to God based on what Paul says here in this letter. And the first area where we always need to be striving to excel and do better for the Lord is in the area of holiness. We need to constantly be excelling in our holiness before the Lord. And so are you in chapter four still look at verse number two In verse number two, Paul goes on to say this after telling them and by extension us to excel still more. In verse number two, he goes on to say, for, you know, what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That it is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Do you see what Paul is talking about there in those verses? In these verses, Paul is talking about holiness. He's talking about Christians excelling still more in their holiness. Paul actually uses the word holiness... To set up this whole section in verse number 13 of the previous chapter, that word holiness that Paul uses in verse 13 of the previous chapter means to be set apart. It means to be sanctified. It means to be separated so that we can be used for the purposes of God. That's what Paul means when he used the word holiness in this text. And in order for us to really appreciate why Paul is using so much space up in this letter to talk with the Thessalonians about holiness. Well, we need to understand some things about the city of Thessalonica. We need to understand some things about this city. We need to understand that like any Large city in the ancient world, Thessalonica, was also loaded with all kinds of sexual temptations. Like the city of Corinth that many of us know about, this city was also loaded with all kinds of gross sexual immorality. In fact, a big part of their quote-unquote worship that took place in the pagan temples, it involved sexual immorality. It involved prostitution. It involved men having sex with temple prostitutes and abusing the sexual relationship. The city of Thessalonica was deeply immersed in all kinds of gross sexual immorality. And while in verse number one of this chapter, Paul tells us that the Thessalonians were striving to be holy. And they were striving to be pure and they were striving to be sanctified before the Lord. They also needed to excel. They needed to excel still more. They needed to keep growing. They needed to strive to become even more disciplined in the battle they were waging against sexual temptation. Paul says they needed to excel still more in this, in their holiness. And you know who else needs to do that? We need to do that. You need to do that. I need to do that. We all need to excel still more in our holiness and sanctification, because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we also live in a culture that is immersed in sexual immorality. Right. We also live in a culture that's very much like the culture of ancient Thessalonica. We also live in a culture where for most people, they could care less about holiness and sanctification and the need to be holy before the Lord. We live in a culture where nearly two-thirds of people believe that cohabitation, that is, living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, cohabitation is morally acceptable behavior. And we live in a culture where 65% of people believe That same-sex relationships are okay. And we live in a culture where 70% of people believe that having children outside of marriage is okay. And we live in a culture where about 45% of people believe that looking at porn is okay. That's the kind of culture we're living in right now. And the question is, what are we to do? What are we to do? What are we to do in a culture that is so deeply immersed And this kind of gross sexual immorality and sexual temptation. Well, we need to do the same thing that Thessalonians needed to do. We need to excel. We need to excel still more. We need to excel still more in our holiness and sanctification. This involves becoming more and more sold on what the Bible has to say about this. It involves being 100% bought into The will of God for our lives, which is for us to abstain from sexual immorality, as Paul says in verse number three of this chapter. It involves possessing our own vessel, our bodies in sanctification and honor. As he says in verse number four, it involves not being slaves to lust. And truly believing that God will punish the sexually immoral and striving to live by the higher calling of the gospel and understanding that to reject what God has to say about this is equal to rejecting God himself. That's what Paul says in verses five through eight. If we're going to excel still more in our holiness, then we need to go back home today and read this section again and highlight in it and take some notes and really be sold. And what God has to say about this, and it also involves guarding our marriages. we got to guard our marriages. we got to make sure that we don't create, that we never create fertile ground for adultery. We never flirt and try to seek attention from someone who's not our spouse. We don't use social media to reconnect. With old boyfriends and girlfriends from high school and college. We don't get close to people who are not our spouse. We don't take advantage of situations where people are vulnerable and in troubled marriages. If we're going to excel still more in our holiness, we've got to guard our marriages and we also got to guard our eyes and our minds. Got to guard our eyes and our minds. Got to avoid looking at sexually explicit movies. And searching the internet for inappropriate things and lusting and lingering on people on swimsuits and bikinis on social media. And we even got to guard the way we dress. Got to cover our bodies. Got to be modest. Got to dress in a way at all times that reflects the holiness of the God we serve. We got to excel still more. Excel, strive for excellence. Excellence. When it comes to our holiness as Christians, but not only must we excel in our holiness, Paul also says we got to excel in our brotherly love. Our brotherly love. Go back to the text again, please. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse verse number 9, Paul goes on to say this. Now, he's changing subjects here, as to the love of the brethren. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught of God or taught by God to love one another. Verse number 10, for indeed you do practice it toward all of the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Notice that language at the beginning of verse number 9, the love of the brethren. That language should look familiar to you. We had a lesson on that a couple of months ago. That language there, comes from the Greek word, the Greek language of Philadelphia. Love for the brethren is Philadelphia. The Greek word Philadelphia speaks to how brethren treat each other. It speaks to brotherly kindness and brotherly affection. It speaks to having a real, genuine, and authentic regard for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in verse number 10 that these brethren were doing that. They were practicing Philadelphia. They were practicing brotherly love and brotherly kindness, but they needed to excel. They needed to excel still more. They needed to keep growing and cultivating the spirit. They never needed to be satisfied with a this is good enough in their relationship with each other. They needed to excel in brotherly love. And you know who else needs to do that? We need to do that. I need to do that. You need to do that. While we seem while we seem, and I want to be clear to do an amazing and wonderful job in practicing Philadelphia around here. We do a great job with this. We also need to understand that that there's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. There's always room to grow in this. There's always room to excel in how we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's always room to become more patient, and kinder, and more caring, and respectful, and concerned about each other's feelings. There's always room to do better in controlling our anger and our and our rage. There's always room to become more tolerant towards the petty differences that we may have in regards to each other there's always room to become more forgiving and more gentle and more willing to overlook past offenses and mistakes there's always room to become more unselfish and more willing to be aware of each other's needs and willing to put the needs of one another before our own needs there's always room to become more peaceful and more helpful and more active in trying to restore the brethren who were one time among us, but they've gone back out into the world. There's always room to excel in this, the Apostle Paul says. We have to excel in our holiness and excel in our brotherly love and how we treat each other. And Paul also says we must learn to excel in our influence, our influence. You see verse number 11 of chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul goes on to say this. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. He says, after he says, excel in your Philadelphia and your brotherly love and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. Just as we have commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders. And not be in any need. So Paul talks about ambition there. Goals. As Christians, we need to have ambition. We need to have a goal. We need to have goals. What should our ambition or our goal be? Well, there are at least three things Paul's three things Paul mentions there. First, he says we need to make it our ambition or our goal to live a quiet life. We need to live a quiet life. What does that mean? Well, that means as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be like Jesus. We need to be peaceful people. We need to avoid being stuck always in the middle of problems and controversies. We need to avoid stirring pots and always looking for trouble. We don't need to be troublemakers. We need to live a quiet life. And Paul also says we need to attend to our own business. We need to attend to our own business. And our language today, we would put it this way. We need to we need to learn to mind our own business. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying there. He doesn't he's not saying that we don't have the right and the obligation to confront each other when we notice each other in sin. All oh, we need to do that. Paul did that kind of stuff. As Christians, when we notice a brother or sister not walking according to the gospel, we need to do some about that. We need to confront them in love. The Bible is very clear about that. Paul's not saying that we shouldn't confront each other in love when we notice each other in sin. But he is saying we need to avoid being gossips. We need to avoid being slanderers. We need to avoid being busybodies. We need to avoid being nosy and meddling in affairs that have nothing to do with us. That's what Paul is saying. There needs to be boundaries. We need to live a quiet life, attend to our own business. And then thirdly, he says we need to work. You see that? Work with our hands. What does that mean? Well, we need to be responsible people. We need to get a job. We need to avoid being lazy and sitting around waiting on other people to take care of us. We shouldn't be waiting for the government or for the church to take care of us. We need to learn to provide for ourselves. That's what Paul says. And don't misunderstand that language. While there are times when things happen to us that are beyond our control and we need some help. We need some help from our brethren. We need some help from the government maybe. While there are times when things happen to us beyond our control, there's no doubt about that. At the same time, as long as we can help it, We need to take care of ourselves. We need to work and provide for ourselves. We need to do these things, Paul says in verse 12, so that we don't have to depend on other people and so we can have influence with outsiders. Do you see that in verse 12? Influence with outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Well, the outsiders are the people out there. It's the people of the world the non-Christians, the people who have yet to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that a failure to excel in these things can hurt our influence with the outsiders. It can push them away. It can become a stumbling block to them. It can affect how they view Christianity and the Jesus Christ that we serve. In fact, Jesus spoke about this before the Apostle Paul did. Do you remember Matthew chapter five? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the fifth chapter, best sermon in all the Bible? Jesus is the one preaching it. And in Matthew chapter five and in verse number 16, Jesus talks about our responsibility as Christians. He actually talks about the first step in effective evangelism. In Matthew chapter five, and verse number 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way. That they may see that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Notice how, according to Jesus, the first step to effective evangelism is sticking out. It's standing out. It's being unique and different when compared to. People living in a dark and sinful world is reflecting the glory of God at all times, reflecting his glory on our jobs, at school, on our sports team, when we're hanging out with our friends all the time. Jesus says our influence plays a critical role in our efforts in trying to draw sinners unto God. And that's why Paul says we got to excel in it. We got to grow in it. We got to strive to do better each and every day when it comes to our influence as Christians. By the way we live our lives, we got to be more and more determined every single day to send the message to the world that we're not like everybody else. We're not like everybody else. We don't talk like everybody else. We don't treat others like everyone else. We're not unforgiving and full of bitterness like everyone else. We don't laugh at the same kind of jokes. We don't watch the same kind of movies. We don't cause the same kind of trouble on social media. We're not troublemakers and busybodies and irresponsible like everyone else. Paul says as Christians, we need to be excelling in our holiness. And in our brotherly love and in our influence with the world. And then one more other thing I want to show you this, and we'll close. Is in this letter, we also learn we need to excel in our gratitude. And our gratitude towards our blessings. This admonition is actually not found in chapter 4 towards the end of 1 Thessalonians. Instead, it's found towards the beginning. And so can you go to the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 2 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as Paul begins this powerful epistle that we were blessed to read earlier this year. In chapter 1 in verse number 2, Paul says to these Christians, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. And labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Verse number six, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God in the way for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus. Who rescues us from the wrath to come. Do you see what Paul is talking about there? He's talking about gratitude. Talking about gratitude. In fact, what I really want you to see right here is how this letter, the letter to the Thessalonians, it begins in a very different way. When compared to other letters we've read from Paul this year, right? I mean, this letter does not begin like the letter Paul wrote to the Galatians. Unlike the letter Paul wrote to the Galatians, this letter doesn't begin with Paul expressing frustration, does it? It doesn't begin with Paul saying he's mad. It doesn't begin with Paul voicing displeasure with how these brethren are being deceived by false teachers and a false gospel. Instead, this letter begins With Paul talking about gratitude. He's talking about thanksgiving. He is thankful for these brethren. He's not frustrated with them, he's thankful for them. He's thankful that they're growing and that they're doing amazing work in the kingdom of God. He's thankful that they're enduring. And if they're pressing on to the cause of the gospel, despite the fact they're being persecuted, he's thankful that they are imitating, that they're modeling Jesus in and, and himself and the other apostles. He's thankful that they are being an example to other believers in other parts of the world. He's thankful they're serious about evangelism, that they're teaching the gospel, and they're serious about repentance, and that they are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Paul. Is thankful for these brethren. In fact, this theme of thankfulness doesn't stop here, but it's, it's really found all throughout 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. When you look at chapter 2 in verse 13, in chapter 2 and verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about how he was thankful that when he came among them, they received his preaching, as preaching that was coming from the very word of God. And then when you look at chapter five and verse number 12, Paul talks about how he was thankful for their attitude towards their leaders. And he tells them to be thankful and appreciate those who have charge over them and give them instruction. I believe he's talking about their shepherds there. And then when you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he begins this letter in the same way with a spirit of thanksgiving. And chapter 1 in verse 3, he talks about he was thankful that they were growing in their faith and in their love and in their perseverance in the cause of the gospel. Paul talks about gratitude and thankfulness all throughout the Thessalonian letters. And let's just be honest about it. So often we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with that. We struggle with being thankful. So often we're so focused on our problems and all the things we think are wrong with this world and with our lives that we fail to just pause for a moment or two and see our blessings. We fail to be thankful and have gratitude for our blessings. We fail to be thankful for the same kinds of things that Paul was thankful for in these letters. We fail to be thankful for our brethren and the spiritual progress that they are making in the gospel. We fail to be thankful for the spiritual maturity of our brethren. We fail to be thankful for the progress and the fruit that we've had in evangelism this year. We fail to be thankful for our leaders. And for the love of Christ that permeates this way throughout this church, we fail to give thanks in all things As Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. excel still more. excel in our holiness, our brotherly love, our influence, our gratitude. I know there's a lot more we could put on this slide this morning, but here's what I want you to see from this lesson. If you don't take anything else home, take this away. When it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being a disciple and walking with Jesus Christ, Good enough is never good enough. Mediocrity will never cut it with the Lord. We serve an excellent God who gave us his very best when he gave us his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And he demands that we give him our best effort. He demands that we always grow, that we always mature, that we always excel still more And every part of our service to him. That's what I want you to take away from the lesson this morning, my dear friends. And maybe you cannot excel still more in your service to God because you have yet to begin serving God. You have yet to begin walking with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If that describes you, then you can begin your walk in the next couple of minutes. If you're willing to confess Faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. The Lord will add you to his church, to his family, and you can begin having a relationship with him and walking with him and hopefully from here on out excelling in him still more. If we can help anyone in their walk with Christ this morning or with their walk with Christ. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Take my life.